Hi everyone, welcome back to Sprout. Today our special guest is Adrian Johnson. Welcome to our show, Adrian. Hello, lovely to be here. Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Viv. Welcome to Sprout, a podcast about finding your place in the world and growing an impactful career. So a bit of an intro, Adrian is the co-founder of Una Brands, which is an Australian startup that has just raised 50 million Australian dollars to acquire and grow e-commerce businesses in Australia. Prior to starting Una Brands, Adrian worked at Goldman Sachs for three years and Boston Consulting Group for another three years. Adrian holds four degrees, including two from Oxford and one from Harvard. So Adrian, why don't you tell us more about what Una Brands does? Yeah, for sure. So Unibrands buys small e-commerce businesses across APAC. Um, in particular, we buy businesses selling on marketplaces like Amazon and eBay and Catch and Kogan and Shopify. Um, and we then roll those businesses together and grow them into the world's largest e-commerce conglomerate. That's the plan. <laughs> Amazing. And what led you to start Unibrands? Yeah, so uh, so uh, prior to working at Unibrands, I was a consultant at Boston Consulting Group, um, and it's consulting is a really fun career in a lot of different ways, and you learn a lot of skills, and you get exposure to lots of different types of businesses and opportunities. But one thing that I found frustrating about it is that you end up giving a lot of advice to people, but not really getting to deliver um, any of the advice that you're that you're that you're uh, and to action any of the advice that you're giving to people and so I really wanted uh, to start a business of my own and to to have kind of hands-on experience of, of growing a business and so there are various different ways you can go about starting a business and when I was at business school there's a, a kind of standard story that everybody tells about how they started their business, which is that they kind of sat in a room with some friends and and they you know and they identified a particular problem that they were facing, and then then they uh, thought about what particular solution could they come up with to that problem, and they uh, and they built the business from there. Uh, that's one way of doing entrepreneurship, but the way that the the uh, the method or the way that I came to entrepreneurship was actually more uh, akin to the rocket internet model um, mm. and so I don't know if you guys are familiar with rocket internet it's a venture okay. incubator based in Berlin um, and uh, it the the business model is that they they look for fast-growing successful business models from other parts of the world and then they replicate them incredibly quickly kind of faster than anybody else can <laughs> so uh so i don't know if you know uh hello fresh yeah um, but that's a rocket internet venture oh um, wow i could yeah. probably name 20 that you would recognize uh, immediately um and so uh, uh rocket internet were on the lookout for uh for had discovered this business model which was being very successful in the us um, and they and some some of the investors were wanting to grow the business um, outside of the U.S. Um, and I had independently been looking into the business model because of, of the success in the U.S. And so uh, I uh, kind of reached out to the investors and uh, pitched the idea of an Australian version of this particular type of kind of business model of kind of buying and growing small e-commerce businesses. And uh, they then put me in touch with my co-founder, who's based in Singapore, uh, who was doing a similar thing 
for the Singaporean market. And we essentially merged together. So he runs the Singapore part, I run the Australia part. Um, and uh, together we are growing uh, a pan APAC business that is uh, building businesses, building companies and growing companies across the whole region. So that's kind of how I came to this. Weird fact is that I've got an identical twin brother um, who works for McKinsey in Dubai. <laughs> and he just quit his job uh, three months ago to start the exact same business <laughs> as me, uh, but based in Dubai. <laughs> so it was, actually, it was actually through my twin brother that I was put in touch with the investors. Interesting. I guess twins do think alike. Um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I also do want to um, just remind our listeners that you are hiring. Can you tell us? A yes, bit that's more? right. Yeah, we, we are looking for interns and recent graduates mm-hmm. to join very actively. Yeah. Um, and so uh, for, for ideally kind of long term internships to kind of six months or so, but also for short term internships. And the types of positions we're hiring for are, are acquisitions associates, so people who can identify fast-growing companies and uh, and then uh, kind of build a relationship with the seller and uh, and work with that with the deal from end to end. Uh, we're also looking at it, uh, people who can help us with valuations of businesses, um, and then people who can help integrate and grow the businesses once we have decided to acquire them. So, big big range of opportunity um, and. Uh, and keen to hear from people uh, who might be looking for those types of opportunities. It sounds like a really great learning opportunity um, and chance to get um, experience across different aspects of running a business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, We have a team of five interns in Singapore at the moment and I think they've had uh, a great experience from a learning perspective. Yeah, yeah awesome. And where can people find the um, application link? Yeah, sure. They can find it on our website, which is um, una-brands.com or uh, people can message me directly um, on LinkedIn. Uh, It's probably a good way of reaching out to me. Sounds good. Um, As for like when thinking about brands, what do you think makes a brand great? Like what do you see as um, signs for potential high growth that you're looking for when thinking about which ones to acquire? Yes, great question. I would say that uh, there are lots of things that can make a brand great, which uh, which would not be a fit for our portfolio, because we have kind of quite specific uh, categories and criteria that we look look at. But I can tell you within the categories and criteria that we look at, what what makes a, a brand uh, particularly great. So uh, the the brand the the categories that we look at are um, kind of pretty safe categories of home and living, uh, pets, bathroom outdoors, uh, kitchen, pets, those sorts of things. Um, the reason why we look at those categories is because typically then they're less cyclical than, uh, than some of the other categories. Uh, also, they have pretty low return rates in comparison to uh, uh, electronics um, and fashion. Um, also, they have lower um, uh, demand for product innovation than, say, fashion. So uh, fashion, uh, people can build a great brand in fashion, but uh, you're, you're quite at risk of uh, you know, missing various fashion trends or, or whatever. So that's a category that we stay away from. Um, then in terms of uh, the businesses that we buy within those categories, so we focus, we look at businesses that typically have a low number of SKUs. So SKU is uh, stock keeping units, so it's the individual products that they sell. 
because uh, you know you get some businesses with thousands of SKUs, and obviously they're very complex uh, beasts to manage. Whereas uh, we we look for businesses with kind of ten products, but they do those ten products really really well, rather than a thousand products that they that they have less focus on. So so that's one element. The second element is uh, kind of the cleanliness and the streamlined nature of the business so one question we always ask the sellers is how many hours a week do you spend uh, on your business where where the lower the number they spend the better as far as we're concerned because that means that the business is uh, more automated and uh, and easier for us to integrate into our platforms and so the way that people go around go about putting less time into the business is they they typically outsource uh, everything um, so uh, from you know that that might be uh, customer service management it might be returns management when somebody sends a product back there's whole companies that that manage that process um, it might be optimizing your ppc pay-per-click marketing spend um, using third-party agencies uh, all of this stuff uh, can be done by third parties obviously you need to have a, a product that's selling and generating the revenue to support that but quite often it can be more effective and more efficient to have a third party manage all of that stuff than do it internally. Um, and then when I say cleanliness, what I'm talking about is it's much better to have, uh, you know, we, we sometimes value some businesses where uh, somebody will be managing five different businesses from one bank account. And then you're trying to piece out, uh, you know, mm. was this expense related to this business or this business? And trying to value those types of businesses are, is very difficult. So it's important that people you know, use accounting software like Xero or A2X or whatever um, to, to help with that process. And then, and then in terms of the, the, the product itself, uh, we, we like products that are unique and different, um, but we're not looking for, uh, you know, we're not looking for the next iPhone or, you know, it, it, it just needs to have, so for example, one, uh, I can show you on here, one company that we've bought recently, is a company called Cadams, which makes uh, digital clocks and timers. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of their products. Um, it's it's a timer that's used for kids with special needs to to tell them like when you know if they're brushing their teeth, how long to spend, or if they're doing their homework, how long they, they need to spend. Um, and they, there's there's no other product on the market that looks and like this and does what this product does. It, it's you might think it's a niche and, and uh, that the sales. Uh, there aren't that many people that would require this type of product but this product sells on uh, amazon.com in the USA uh, which is obviously the biggest consumer market in the world and so uh, even though it's a small niche you can still find a huge amount of customers interesting are you able to quickly walk through how that works just for the people who can't actually see the um, picture of it yeah, sure. So it looks yeah. a bit like a traffic light, um, and uh, you you set the timer mm -hmm. on the bottom, uh, and then when the uh, when you can set the the orange level after one minute or two minutes, whatever, and then the red light will flash when it's time for the student to stop. Uh, so uh, it's it's kind of a a, a unique uh, type yeah, of yeah. I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. 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 Adrian, just then you mentioned um, like thinking about valuing e-commerce businesses um, coming from sort of a finance background. Like I don't know for typical companies, you would do a DCF, look at cash flow. I was wondering when thinking about valuing e-commerce stores and like brands, what other factors might you consider? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, the valuation that we give to companies is broken into two parts. Um, there's the, the annual profitability multiplied by the multiple. Um, and those two parts are looked at quite separately. So to calculate the profitability, the metric that we use is called the, uh, the TTMSTE, which stands for the trailing 12-month seller's discretionary earning. So it's, it's basically looking at the last 12 months profitability. And uh, when, we, when we talk about profitability, we're talking about um, uh, basically the EBITDA, but we don't, take, we don't uh, take as a cost the seller's salary themselves. The reason why is because you might have one business that is making, um, uh, that makes maybe, um, I don't know, 100K EBITDA, but then the seller is paying themselves a salary of 100K, in which case uh, the SDE, the seller's discretionary earning, would be 200K. Or you might have another business which is making 100K EBITDA, but the seller is paying themselves mm-hmm. like 5K. And you want to be able to compare between those two businesses because it's kind of, uh, irrelevant how much the seller has decided to take it out as a dividend of, from that business. So, so that's, the, that's the way we look at the profitability. Um, and, then, and then we apply a multiple. And in, in this space, the, the typical average multiples uh, are, go from around two, times, two to three times the annual profitability. Um, and how we decide whether to evaluate it two-time multiple or two-and-a-half-time multiple or three-times multiple, we have a scorecard uh, which has... I don't know, 25 or 30 different metrics on it. And each one of those metrics contributes to the, to the, the multiple that we give. So uh, some of those metrics would be um, the, the profit margin. Uh, we, might, we would look at what percentage is spent on marketing, where typically the lower the better. Uh, we would look at, uh, as I mentioned, the number of SKUs, uh, the, the Google Trend uh, line over the past few few years for that particular product um, and then a, you know another 15 or 20 metrics on top interesting i'm keen to hear more about why marketing for lower spend for marketing is better typically because it means that you it means that we can increase the marketing spend and uh, so so it's a balance between you want to buy businesses that are growing and are profitable businesses but at the same time you don't want to buy a perfect business because then there's nothing oh, yeah. left to optimize um, so yeah exactly yeah so uh, when it comes to so if if we're buying a business and it's it has pretty good profitability and it turns up on page four of Google rank of Google search that's good for us because it means with a few little tweaks on the uh, on the search um, digital marketing side of things, we can move it from page four to page one. Whereas if if it's already at the number one ranking on Google search, it's kind of like you, you can't really get get squeeze anything more out of uh, out of that company from there. Um, yeah, it yeah. sounds like you're looking both at the fundamentals of the business um, and also a big part of like the value that you can add to improve the business as well. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, we, we create kind of like a forward looking view for the business and what, what type of growth we think we can achieve um, mm. in the business. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really keen to hear about how exactly do you actually create more value for one of those brands that you do buy? Yeah, for sure. So uh, there's a few different levers that we pull. So um, firstly, we invest in the businesses, and so quite often the sellers will will tell us that they that they want to grow the businesses, but they don't have the kind of capital to invest in uh, 
in working capital for inventory purchases as well as investing in new products, all the rest of it. So we, we put a large amount of cash into the business. And then with that, we look to grow the products across a few different dimensions. One is geographical expansion. So if the a lot of our businesses uh, sell on big marketplaces in the US, US or in Australia, um, and so we would look to expand outside of those um, markets across APAC, across Europe. Um, secondly is product expansion um, and then thirdly is channel expansion so taking it outside of just the eBay or just the Amazon ecosystem and and pushing it uh, into all of the other channels uh, including direct channels via kind of a Shopify website or or, or anything else um, and then and then I guess that is, uh, and then I guess an additional lever is just around uh, taking the best practice from across the whole portfolio and being able to apply that to all of the different brands. So we have, um, uh, we're able to kind of, so for example, with Amazon, Amazon quite often changes the algorithm that they use. And so we're able to spot that very quickly across the whole portfolio of companies and then implement changes uh, in response to that. Whereas an individual seller might be slower to, to respond to some of those changes that, that is made by the marketplaces. So that, yeah, that's on the, on the kind of growth and revenue side of things. And then on the cost side of things, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do around uh, reducing the, uh, optimizing the procurement and supply chain and, um, and the internal operations as well around HR, finance, legal, uh, technology. And uh, yeah, so th those two elements together mm -hmm. create the winning formula that is the inner brand's growth machine. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. I was wondering, like, I don't mean to put you on the spot and it's totally fine if you don't have an example, but I was wondering if you have an example of a brand that you bought and how you sort of changed that and what it is now. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've only been, mm -hmm. we only launched three months ago. So we're, we're still early days mm -hmm. in the acquisition process. Um, uh, we're, we're looking to acquire between 20 and 25 businesses mm -hmm. over the next six to 12 months. I mean, I can talk to you uh, about uh, the Cadams yeah, business sure. that I just mentioned earlier. Uh, so the first thing that we're doing, so that, that business uh, sells on Amazon.com in the USA um th there's there's a few um obvious things that we'll do f straight away with that one is that we will create uh its own website uh, uh for direct to consumer sales um and we'll do that using shopify um it, after that we will um we will then investigate product new products um and and the seller that we that we bought the business from has a whole pipeline of ideas of uh, new products that we might be able to launch so we'll engage her quite thoroughly to to try to launch some of those um and then uh yeah after that we'll look at geographical expansion to sell the products abroad cool yeah before um you mentioned that um, well, actually, we mentioned that you've just raised $50 million um, in seed funding. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe um, elaborate on why you think investors might be enthusiastic about this business model and what you guys are doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so there's, so uh, just so you're aware that there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interest in this space um, at the moment from investors. Um, I think there's currently, uh, since in the last year, there's been about $6.5 billion that has been raised 
by various different aggregators doing kind of similar business models. And the, the, the reason why is, um, firstly, this business model has now become more understood. So the, the first people to launch this business uh, launched this business about 18 months ago in the US and uh, they became the fastest ever company oh, wow. to become a unicorn. They did it in 18 months. Um, that, that, that company was then copied in Europe by a company called Razor, which is one of our sister companies. Uh, we have the same investors as them. Um, and they overtook Thrasio to become the fastest oh, wow. ever company to become a unicorn. Um, and, and then it was copied again by a company called Perch. Um, and <laughs> Perch has now just become a unicorn last, last week after a half a billion dollar investment from, uh, from SoftBank. And so, but nobody is yet doing this uh, in APAC. So we're the first people to, to launch this business in APAC. Um, and hopefully the fastest ever <laughs> yeah. company to become a unicorn. Beating records. <laughs> um, but there's various reasons why the business... So, so, so I guess the success of the early versions of this business model has, have given investors confidence um, that in, in, these, in e-commerce businesses where, where previously they were... Uh, wary and uh, and didn't have full understanding of of the the exit the growth opportunity there, but then secondly, um, there's just a wall of capital which is waiting to be deployed at the moment, um, and that's on the back of kind of low interest rates, plus a whole bunch of historical factors. Um, in the mm. private equity world, people call it dry powder. Um, so there's there's just an enormous amount of dry powder which is looking for investment. And so it's kind of the right place at the right time for this type of business model, I think. Really interesting. Um, you sort of mentioned how different companies are copying each other in different countries. I'm working on sort of like a startup competition at the moment. And every time we have an idea, we'll like look into it and we'll be like, oh, the exact same thing exists, but it's in America. Do you have any sort of like startup advice when that sort of stuff happens? Like, can we just copy them yeah. or do we have to make it drastically different? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I would say uh, I would say d like don't be put off the fact that some mm -hmm. that there's a, there's somebody else doing the same business model. Uh, this like I would say ideas are uh, ten a penny uh, in the sense that ideas are very uh, easy to come across, but it's the execution uh, that is the difficult bit, and it, you you only need to execute slightly better than them to 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 win the to win the race uh, basically. Um, and if anything, if there if there are no if there's literally zero other people doing anything similar, then you might have to ask, you know, is there <laughs> maybe there's a reason for that? <laughs> maybe uh, so. So the presence of a competitor can quite often be a good thing because it can validate that there is actually uh, a, a need for this yeah, uh, definitely. gap in the market. As somebody, as Alan Sugar says. There might be a gap in the market, mm. but is there a market in the gap? That's true, what you true, need to true. be concerned about. <laughs> As in, there's a gap in the market for lots of things like, you know, cars with <laughs> toothbrushes uh, in, the, in the steering wheel. Uh, but, but is there a market in the gap for that yeah. product? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. I think like we always think that there is a gap in the market. And then when we do more research, we find that it actually exists, but it's not well known yeah. or anything. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that means that, that, yeah, it's a good thing to have competitors. Yeah. yeah, I like your advice about the importance of execution. Um, do you have any advice as to how to actually do that? Um, is it in the details? Is it um, the fastness? How fast you're growing? Like, what do you think that actually means? 
Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, I was listening to a podcast by the founder of uh, uh, Airbnb, and he was basically saying that the death of startups is people's lives and when you have <laughs> and when you have when when people's lives get in the way of startups um it, uh, you you kind of need a, a a fairly focused determination and single-mindedness to work on a, a kind of fast-growing startup um and to do that you kind of need uh space and freedom from other responsibilities um so i would say put i would say trying to work on a startup uh this advice is probably not very useful to your listeners <laughs> but i was going to say like trying to do, trying to do a startup like part time um is 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 difficult if you're if you're really serious about it um uh so where possible try and give yourself the space to throw everything you have at it but I realize, uh, like, if you're studying part time, then you know, if you're studying and, and doing a startup part time, then you know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not telling people to quit their stuff. I think what's really interesting about our listeners is like a lot of them are around their final few years of uni and thinking about what they want to do after they graduate. And a lot of people are considering like corporate companies like BCG, like Goldman. How has your experiences been different in the corporate side and also the startup side doing your own thing? Yeah, I, it's an interesting one because I much, mm -hmm. much prefer what I'm doing now. And I love the startup environment. Um, and, you know, we're, we're 10 people already in Sydney uh, with 15 people in Singapore, five people in India. Um, and, you know, having the chance to build that team and to manage, manage people and, and grow the business is super exhilarating and super exciting. But I'm also aware that I wouldn't have been given this opportunity if i didn't it, it, well it would have been very unlikely that i would have been given this opportunity uh in terms of the investment if i hadn't uh had the experience from goldman and bcg uh goldman from a finance perspective and a, and a banking and uh, uh and kind of m a perspective um and then bcg from a corporate strategy management perspective um so uh, sometimes people ask me like would you recommend doing entrepreneurship straight out of uni or doing corporate stuff first uh it's it's a difficult one i think there is huge huge value in getting a few years under your belt in in like a, a corporate type environment i mean even things like learning excel uh like like you know working at goldman they they give you a very very structured uh training on excel mm -hmm. and it's it's super super important <laughs> to understand to, to have experience uh learning that type of stuff whereas if you go into a startup you might get that experience but it's just less certain that you'll get come out with a kind of well-rounded um, experience yeah i'm wondering when you were um just graduated did you have the desire to start your own thing or did that sort of come later as you started working well, one thing you didn't mention uh, in my introduction, or I didn't tell you um, earlier, was that um, when I first graduated, oh, I yes. spent three years as a high school math teacher in London. Uh, so my my dream since I was a child uh, was always to be a high school math teacher. 
and uh, then I became a <laughs> teacher and I realized that I hated it <laughs> so, <laughs> so I left quite quickly um, but no so I never really had like an entrepreneurship drive um, and then uh, and then I guess it was through working uh, in, in kind of corporates I, I realized I wanted to try and do something uh, of my own uh, after that yeah yeah that's that's really cool and I think it also speaks to sometimes you can have a dream but it's not until you've really experienced it that you really know for sure whether it's something you want to yeah, do that's forever and you don't even have to do it forever. yeah correct yeah that's totally true yeah, yeah. fail fast <laughs> uh, is, is is one phrase that people use like if you're if you're if you're yeah, if you're going to sure. change if, like you know that you don't need to you don't need to stick at stuff for ages and ages just try try lots of different stuff and you'll find something that you like yeah that is so true yeah absolutely sure. yeah throughout your experiences um what do you think's the biggest lesson you've learned or something that a mantra that you hold on to as you make decisions and um experience different things um the biggest lesson that i've learned um w one thing with building a startup is that it's i'm finding that it's always a balance every day is a balance between moving fast and building processes and uh what i mean by that is uh so we we acquired our first company um in australia after two months of operation um but in order to, you know, which, which is very kind of quick turnaround to complete all of the due diligence and all of the legal and, uh, and, and even finding the business in the first place. But in order to do that, we had to uh, sacrifice, uh, you know, putting in place very rigid structures and all the rest of it. Um, and, and, and I'm glad that we did that. But now we're having to go back and put in place all of the structures. Um, so um, I... I it's been a learning for me trying to trying to walk that balance um and uh i think i think both are important um and i think when i when i interview people i look for people who uh have an appreciation of both like you don't want people who spend all their time building processes but don't get on and actually do stuff uh, but vice versa you you want to have some type of structure i think i fall more into the first camp and i guess what i'm learning is that it's important to surround myself and build a team which has people who fall more into the build process camp and then we kind of balance each other out so i think it's i think it's around the value of a diverse team uh is what kind of what i'm learning that's a really great learning. Balance is so important. Um, to wrap up our episode today, what is what's next for Una Brands? Yes, we just so we just closed the series round, uh, the, the seed round a couple of uh, weeks ago, and we're now fully uh, fledged Series A <laughs> fundraising mode. Um, so if you know any investors, <laughs> find them in our direction. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're we're currently raising the Series A. Uh, which will give us uh, much greater capacity and ability to acquire businesses. Um, as mentioned at the beginning, we are very actively looking for um, interns and uh, recent grads to join the team. So uh, definitely reach out to us um, either to me on LinkedIn or uh, through uh, our careers portal. And uh, what next is taking over the world, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Adrian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been lovely to be here.
Thank you for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at The Sproutcast.